Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, my name is Dr Katie Bray and I am Public Engagement Manager at Alzheimer's Research UK and I'm delighted to be taking a turn at hosting this week's Dementia Researcher podcast, recording on location from the Brighton Centre and sharing our guests' highlights from this year's Alzheimer's Research UK conference. So the Alzheimer's Research UK conference is running as a hybrid conference for the first time, with around 600 delegates joining across the online platform and in person. As you probably know, two years ago, like many conferences, we had to cancel uh, due to the emerging pandemic. And last year, we held the conference on a purely online platform. So it's been fantastic to get dementia researchers together again. And we've seen some joyful reunions over the past two days, while also taking some important moments to remember colleagues who are no longer with us. Monday was the Early Careers Day with the main conference over the last two days. We've had a range of topics covered and so I'm looking forward to our discussion over the next half hour or so about what we've heard. And I'm delighted to be joined by a great panel today. So we have Josh Harvey, Beth Eyre, Dr. Mike Daniels and Sophie Sanford. So hello everyone, thank you for joining me. Um, So should we start off with some introductions around the table? So looking in order around the table, Beth, if I come to you first. Hi everyone, Um, I am Beth Eyre and I'm a third year PhD student at the University of Sheffield. Um, I'm based in the Department of Psychology but my PhD kind of spans psychology and neuroscience Um, and I look at an important mechanism called neurovascular coupling um, in Alzheimer's disease and in comorbid mixed models. Fam, over to you Mike. Hi everyone, yeah, uh, I'm Mike Daniels. I'm a postdoc working uh, with Dr. Barry McColl in the University of Edinburgh, uh, and I'm also in the UK Dementia Research Institute. Uh, and I'm really interested in microglia, which uh, a lot of people will have heard of, the immune cells of the brain parenchyma. Uh, really interested in what microglia do, what they do in Alzheimer's disease, and what we can do to change them if we need to. Fab, over to you, Josh. Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Josh Harvey. I'm a PhD student uh, at the University of Exeter in the Complex Disease Epigenetics Group. Uh, my supervisor is Professor Katie London. Uh, primarily, I'm interested in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease and looking at epigenetics as a way to explain changes that we see uh, across the, the disease process. Fab, thank you. And last but not least, Sophie. Hi, I'm Sophie. I'm a third year PhD student at the UK Dementia Research Institute in Cambridge. I'm in the, wo- uh, in the group of Dr. William McEwen, and we're looking at antiviral immunity in models of Alzheimer's disease. So specifically what the role of antiviral immunity might be in the aggregation of tau protein. And really great to be here. Fab, thank you. So before we kind of get into the meat of the topic, have you all had posters or given talks of some sort? I think we've had Two of you presented at the at the Early Careers Day, I think. And Mike, have you had a poster? Embarrassingly, no. no. I, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, and now everyone knows about it. Uh, no, I, I unfortunately did not bring a poster, and I think you are maybe the 18th person to ask me if I have a poster here. Uh, and quite rightly, I, I am for shame for, for not bringing one, which is really, really bad. Uh, but I'm happy to talk about what I would present in my poster. Uh, it would it would be probably my my work on a gene that I work on called CST7, which is involved in microglial lysosomes, which are like the little stomachs of the microglia, 
Uh, and essentially, we know this gene is upregulated in microglia in Alzheimer's disease, uh, mainly in mice, but also to some extent in humans. Uh, but no one knows what it does. Uh, and this happens a lot in research. Uh, people show genes go up, they show markers might be upregulated, uh, and then they just kind of say, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and I really want to know why it's being upregulated, because you'd assume it goes up for a reason. Uh, and so I've knocked it out. And uh, very, very long story short, it does different things in males versus females, uh, almost completely opposite things. Uh, and it does quite a lot of things. So it's 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 quite interesting. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, didn't manage to put it on a poster, which I definitely should have done. That's all right. Well, maybe next year? Hope so. Yeah. Good, good. How about you, Sophie? Do you have a poster? Yeah, I had my first poster, my first real in-person poster. It only took three years, but it was really nice to meet people. And I found some other people researching fairly similar things. Um, and Michael Coleman on the ECR day recommended us, Professor Michael Coleman recommended that we pounce on people, grab them to get them to listen to us talk. And that's what I tried to do. And it was really, really good. <laughs> oh, fab. Yeah, the pouncing is always the most nerve wracking bit when you're standing by that poster, just yeah. hoping to, for a kind face to come around the corner. Yeah. So that's great to hear. And Josh and Beth, I know you both presented. Who wants to go first? Uh, I can jump in. Uh, yes, yeah, so I present some work we've been doing in collaboration with a group in the Netherlands at the University of Maastricht, looking at machine learning based prediction of cognitive change in Parkinson's disease, sort of testing a whole a host of different variables to see if, if these algorithms can sort of tease out uh, predictive features which uh, may sort of tell which patients will or will not develop cognitive impairment. Interesting. And Beth? So I presented um, like a bit of an overview of what I've been doing for the past two and a half years where I've literally been in a dark room for so long. Um, and I specifically focused on one of the imaging methods that I've been using, which is something called 2D optical imaging spectroscopy, um, which basically is a fancy way of saying that we look at light. We use light to look at changes in hemoglobin levels to a, um, a sensory stimulation. So we use a whisker stimulation in um, animal models and we have different diseases. Um, and we essentially showed that we've neurovascular function so to this whiskey stimulation and then you get this increase in blood volume to the same brain region that was um, preserved in the alzheimer's model um, compared to the wild type um, the atherosclerosis was actually reduced um, and the mix so that was atherosclerosis and the alzheimer's together um, was also similar to the wild type so we found some interesting things and like we're trying to figure out what's happening there i've still got some um analysis to do where I can look at like the neural activity at the same time so to get an idea of that neurovascular coupling relationship that I mentioned um, but yeah I think we're just trying to figure out what's going on um, but it was really nice to show that to everyone and I also talked about um, how the animal's um, behavior can impact responses because um, I do awake imaging um, and just how the importance of like monitoring locomotion like when and how much animals walk um, in relation to that whisker stimulation is really important if we're going to use that um, sensory stimulation as a um, measure of neurovascular function. Fab and we probably should mention I know Beth is quite humble about this but Beth did win the Laura Pulford Prize which is the award for the best talk on the early quiz day so a little silent round of applause for Beth for doing that um, yeah fantastic so on the first day on the Monday what stood out for you was there anything that you particularly enjoyed what was your highlight of the day? I'll jump in. Um, so Monday was the ECR day, if I'm correct. It's been quite a long three days when you've not really like socialised in um, two years. 
Um, I really liked, and I think I've mentioned this to Adam in another podcast, um, I really liked the Play Into Your Strengths um, session because um, I was talking to another um, PhD researcher and you don't always consider what your strengths are. I think you, you sometimes just kind of get in the the routine of, right, you're going to uni, you're doing your experiments, you're, you're writing up, you're analysing, you, and you're just doing your job, right? And um, just trying to like think, oh, well, actually, I really enjoy this and actually I do excel at this. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to tell ourselves that we're doing a good job. But I think as an ECR, I think it's really important to be like, oh, I'm good at this. Um, I should like showcase that a bit more. And the whole aspect of doing side projects, I thought was um, really interesting because I always just thought side projects were just about data analysis where your supervisors were like, do you want to do a bit more data and something else? But actually seeing that you can do things like blog writing or um, some things on social media or volunteering um, was really nice that that was incorporated into the sessions. Fab, yeah. I think understanding your strengths is not just good for researchers, but just in general, any role that you end up afterwards, if you think about the things that, yeah, as they said, people come to you for these sorts of things all the time. You realise that's because you're seen as having a strength there. So, yeah, very positive message, I think, to come out of that one. Anyone else for their highlights from Monday? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I, I found the uh, session on publishing very interesting. Um so, so we we had speakers mainly from Springer Nature journals uh, come in and talk about uh, the way that their editorial process works, um, some of the differences between journals that I thought ran editorially very similarly. Turns out they run very differently uh, in an editorial way, uh, and a little bit about peer review. Um, the good thing about it is it was it was really well chaired, um, and and what was cool was the. They were to some extent being being kind of I, I'm going to say held to account sounds a little bit aggressive, <laughs> uh, but there's a there's maybe a lot of frustration I think uh, at the researcher level about uh, especially the for profit kind of publishing uh, journals and, and and those big big companies and and yeah like they, they was quite they were honest in the way they answered the questions and the the questions generally speaking were were asked directly to to them. Um, the people working for these journals and they tried to answer them so it was good it was good to sometimes that's an elephant in the room I think that actually everyone just brushes under the carpet and says that's the way it is we've got to get on with it uh, and it was great to actually have a session where we were trying to address that and then you know hopefully the things that need to change will change fab yeah a lot of movement towards kind of a better future and a lot of the topics I think on Monday weren't there I definitely think like uh, in this conference, I really felt like AR UK really is trying to care about ECRs, and there was a session on mental well-being as well. And I think it is important to talk about this stuff as as ECRs. And yeah, um, I think it it speaks to the fact that we all really care that we do want to do good research, and so we need the things that are set up around us to help us do that. And I I think it was really nice to talk about that in the ECR day. Yeah, fab. And I should probably say, actually, it's a good time to plug our new early career researcher portal, which has lots more and, and will have a building and growing amount of support and information and training and opportunities and mentoring. So for anyone listening, um, there's a chance to sign up for our mentoring scheme through our research network before the end of March. And that's for UK based researchers um, initially. But yeah, do check that out because it's going to be it's going to be great. I've just decided just to second that, um, I think it's ARUK have made like me personally as an ECR feel so supported this these past three days, and I think that echoes around everyone I speak to. Um, and I, I think I mentioned it to someone 
again, probably Adam on a podcast or something. And we were just saying it's, it's a nice safe space to present your work. Cause a lot of us who are here are coming towards the end of our PhD training and we've not done anything like this before. And it, like presenting to people is a massive thing. And even just going and speaking to another supervisor or another top professor, it, it's, it's quite daunting when you're like really new. And I think the new framework that um, AOUK have got going on is, is pretty awesome. Um, and it's it's nice to have um, a funding body and a charity like care about the people, um, not just the work that we do. Mm. Actually, on that like that safe space concept, I guess one of the things that we've seen happen because we've held this conference hybrid is that everyone submits questions via Slido. So that means that people watching at home can equally participate. But actually, I almost feel it makes it less daunting as an early career researcher to to ask questions. Have you guys felt like you've been able to ask questions? It's literally a note that I have down here is that was like one of my preferred things. I think as, a, as an ECR new to presenting, like one of the, the kind of anxieties you can have in your head is kind of being asked a really difficult, confronting question by someone within the audience. One that kind of starts with, oh, it's more of a comment than a question really. Hmm. Um, and having that sort of um, face of the chair in between the, the question portal and, and the ECR, yeah, really helped kind of uh, lessen that gap to actually presenting. Actually, that's a good point. The chair is then filtering, and mm. so all those—it's more of a comment. Yeah, they—they they don't get—they don't get said. So actually, if that person does have a comment, they can come find you yeah, exactly. and stand up and mm. talk to you directly. I would love to see statistics on doing it this way. How many PhD students ask questions in the main conference compared to like without that, like the in-person way? Because like most conferences you get the ECR day and then all the ECRs ask each other questions and it's really open and it's really collaborative and people are like, oh yeah, I tried that thing. It didn't work for me either and stuff like that. And it gets to the main conference and you get the big dog PIs presenting these like amazing stories from like 15 years worth of work in the lab. And it's unbelievable to see, but it's kind of hard to identify with, I think for one level as like a student or an ECR. And also the questions entirely get asked by other big dog PIs. Um, and the PhD students hardly ever ask questions. And I think that probably hasn't happened this time around because of uh, using the app. So I think it's been good. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that we can kind of evaluate. So um, everyone who comes to conferences is probably well used to filling in feedback forms. And as somebody who often writes those feedback forms, I do encourage you to fill them out because they do actually, they do help shape how we do things moving forward. All right, so moving on to the main bit of the conference. Um, So that has been all of yesterday and we're at lunchtime today. So still some more to come. Has anyone had any standout favourite sessions so far from the last day and a half? jump in from this morning just because it's still fresh in the mind uh, I think uh, Dr Nicholas uh, Ashton's talk this morning I think it was the, the first one from the University of uh, Gothenburg was really really cool and very exciting uh, looking at blood biomarkers and sort of novel phosphor tau markers for cognitive decline in AD and yeah the leaps and bounds that that field has uh, come in in the past few years are really exciting and I think really sort of immediate for direct patient change mm. uh, Fab. Yeah, I sadly missed that. I was still registering everybody at the door. Um, but I've heard Nick talk before and he's fantastic. So, yeah, great you've to actually, hear updates on that. You've actually stolen my <laughs> one. I, <laughs> I think it was really good because he highlighted what blood biomarkers for tau can and can't mm. say as well. He, he did make sure to say, you know, we can give a binary measure. And at the moment, it's not very good um, at correlating mm. severity with the blood biomarkers for tau. And also raise things like we now need to study 
the metabolism of Tao in things like blood and how different lifestyles and different comorbidities can affect that. And yeah, really good to get an idea of that current field of high sensitivity, early detection Mm -hmm. for dementia. How about you, Mike? I know you've got some things you've enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, this is this is probably not going to be hugely surprising because I'm a glial biologist, so I particularly like the glial session. Uh, uh, but I really, really enjoyed the talk from Alex Vakratsky. It's been this conference has been quite well set up with the sessions, often in being kind of opened by somebody who gives a real like overview. Somebody who's been in the field for quite a long time, uh, giving an overview of basically the state of play at the field. And that talk was amazing for a couple of reasons, I think. Um, uh, one is that he he kind of challenged, I think, the field to some extent, which is really, really great to see from somebody that's been in it so long. Sometimes fields stagnate when main people are in them for so long. Uh, and he's challenging it and, and suggesting really that these diseases, uh, like Alzheimer's disease, where we see glial activation or glial changes, isn't standard neuroinflammation that people talk about and actually maybe it's glial paralysis and um, that's something that we kind of uh, are looking into as well and I think it's becoming more and more apparent that might be what's happening and that that's really cool to see him talk about that uh, and also really really interesting for him to talk about different kind of ways of investigating glia uh, for example he uh, used um, the example of a stain called GFAP uh, which people use to stain astrocytes uh, and maybe how um, you can't necessarily interpret it in the way that a lot of people interpret it. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and yeah, yeah, really, really good talk. Included some Latin, uh, which he never actually translated. It was a little bit, I thought, maybe do I, do I need to know Latin to be able to research this? Um, but really, really cool. Fab. How about you, Beth? Um, so my favorite talk was from yesterday. Um, and it was from Dr. Ian Harrison. And he was talking about glymphatics um, and tau. Um, I think glymphatics is a really interesting um, area. Um, any clearance pathway, that's because there's a couple. Um, and obviously there's some like contradictions between them and like not fights between them, but there's definite sides um, about what people believe and what people don't believe. Um, and I just think any clearance pathway is super interesting. And um, I think I remember um, reading Ian's paper actually, and it was, and I bumped into him and I overheard him talking about the work and I was like, oh, that's you. Well, like, I read that paper and I really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, just seeing how they research the glymphatics and how they use the if I get this right, I'm, I hope I do, where they get the tau brain and then they homogenize it and then they inject the tau. And I just think that is awesome. Like the person who came up with that, just, it's like quite just cool science. Mm. And I was chatting to um, um, Ian's postdoc, I think it's Douglas Lopez, I hope I've got that right, um, about this and asking more about why they do that and some of the other methods they use. And it was just really fascinating. Like, the work that they were doing and how they were answering those questions. And I think glymphatics is a really interesting area. And I think there'll be a lot of, with both glymphatics and all the clearance pathways, I think there'll be a lot um, going on in the next couple of years with that. So it's really, it'll be nice to see um, some more future stuff because they've said they've got some more data that they're analysing right now. So I can't wait for another paper um, or another talk or something from, from that group. That's always one of the really exciting things about conferences is like that touch point with different researchers to see how bits are moving along that aren't always really close to what you do, but you're really interested in them and you can kind of get that touch point. 
Um, I really enjoyed uh, Johannes Atoms from Newcastle spoke yesterday um, and he was talking about, so they use post-mortem brain tissue um, to look at pathology and he was talking about mixed pathology and how actually there's different types of mixed pathology and one might be predominant or it might be both actually or multiple are really strong. Um, I just found that very, very interesting because I guess it's one of the challenges we face with a lot of these different diseases is we have clinical symptoms and we have pathology and it's all it's all very confusing still and actually the more work in this area where we can try and understand it and tease apart some of the maybe find some clear water in it and understand um, can be really really valuable and also I loved it because he used um, tissue from brains for dementia research so I'm going to plug that now because I also work on that project um, so if anybody's ever thinking of doing post-mortem brain tissue work or even just wants to access data um, they also have um, kind of cognitive data that's taken yearly in these samples so it's a really good resource um, and I think we could shout about it way more than we do so do check out Brains for Dementia Research that's my plug done pat on the back um, how about posters were there any particular posters people have enjoyed there was a poster and uh, ECR talk that I really enjoyed Nina Sturbel I think I, that's how you pronounce it she was looking at IPSC models of microglia which uh and she'd co she'd had a mutant Huntingdon microglia, IPSC microglia, and then corrected that gene um, so that one of them had the normal microglia. And it just makes you realise the microglia really do behave differently when they have um, a mutated Huntingdon. And just was something I didn't really think about um, in terms of how they might behave differently in a in a in an immune context outside of neurons. So. And she gave a really nice, clear talk and re had a really nice progression and really liked her poster as well. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, I have to be upfront to begin with that the, the uh, guy I have in mind, Sam Washer, uh, is a personal friend. So there's a level of bias uh, going into this. But I think regardless of this, I would be choosing this poster. It's also around uh, microglial IPSCs. And he's done a, a really interesting piece of work characterizing different uh, media to sort of... Uh, uh, grow these microglia and then characterize them very thoroughly using single cell RNA sequencing, essentially uh, making their profile as similar as, as, as you can to uh, true microglia that you observe in, in, in the primary tissue. Um, and I just think that's a really, really neat uh, approach. Mm. It seems like there's more and more and more um, IPSC, so induced pluripotent stem cells, for those who haven't come across the acronym before. Um, there's more and more of that happening, it seems, across the board. Are there any other kind of themes that you've seen emerging at the conference? I think like transcriptomics, if I've said that right. Um, this is totally not my field. And I think something to do with RNA sequencing is to do with that. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of that. And I think it's the the methods that, the way methods have come along in like the past, like even five to 10 years, it's incredible what you can do now. And like, even just thinking of all the GWAS stuff, um, the genetic genome-wide association studies. Um, I, it's amazing what we can actually do now. Um, I think sometimes there's so much data, you don't actually know what to, what to do with it sometimes. And um, it's nice to be in a position where um, we have all these methods and there's lots we can do to try and figure out and understand the diseases that cause dementia more. I think that's great. Just to plug another poster, um I really oh who did it where did it go? I really enjoyed um Dr. Anne 
Go or Goo's poster, um, which was like two photon imaging and hippocampal place cells. Um, I really liked the methods. They were using like two photon um, and like, like taking a little bit of cortex so like actually imaging the hippocampus and the hippocampus is quite deep down so it was really interesting to like see how that could be imaged um with the two photon and then doing like behavioral data as well like, i thought that was pretty awesome <laughs> anything from you mike posters or themes yeah un unfortunately my favorite poster that i was also a microglia ipsc poster so that's what you need to know about about things that we've picked up uh, which is maybe not necessarily a great thing um but yeah I, I was fortunate enough to have pretty much a whole lab uh, around a poster that they all contributed to and uh, hazel hall roberts is the the first author on that poster in julie williams lab in cardiff um but the, all the rest of the lab were there and we just spent about 20 minutes stood around this poster chatting about exactly what they were doing and offering pieces of advice for, for how to do it. So what, what, their, um, what their study is, and I think this is such a good idea, is that they're basically assessing polygenic risk score. So polygenic risk score is when you might not have a single gene that, that drives an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease or, or even a couple, but, but you have tons of different genes and all together they have very small individual effects and that comes in to make a very big effect to increase your risk or decrease your risk. Uh, and so what they're trying to do is model that in the cells that most of these genes tend to be expressed in, and that is microglial cells. Uh, and then they're just setting up this big screening platform uh, and they're just saying, how does the microglia function? Do they take up things differently? Do they secrete things differently? Do they move differently? Are they different shapes and sizes? Uh, and I think it's a really, really good idea to just run through this kind of big screening platform. And then their aim, which I also think is amazing, is to run through this platform. And then when they get some interesting things come out, they're being super collaborative about how they're doing stuff. And they're going to go, OK, look, here you go. We found this amazing thing. Uh, let someone else might be an expert in that particular aspect of microglial biology. And then they'll go away and investigate it in more detail. And I think that's potentially going to be extremely powerful. And I yeah, hope it really works out. Mm. I, I've got to say, I feel like collaboration has really gone up a notch because of the pandemic, which might almost sound counterintuitive, but I think people have had to be much more intentional around their interactions. And then having moments like this where people can come together and have those more spontaneous and actually make new connections, hopefully then we'll continue to see that grow. But I know it's something we've heard quite a lot about because we've had a number of tributes to uh, Stuart Pickering Brown, who sadly passed away, and lots of people talking about his approach to being a scientist and not necessarily things that he actively went out and told people to do, but just the way he conducted himself and his lab and the really positive way uh, of behaving in a certain way. So people talking about how he was very trusting and open and sharing the ongoing research, which is fantastic because it's, you know, we don't want those days of people being hidden away and don't want anyone to know what I'm doing because actually the more we can share, the faster progress can happen. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, worked a little bit with Stuart and my main memory of him actually is walking back from uh, when AIUK was in Manchester and there'd just been some some of his FTD work had been presented and I was a second year PhD student I think at that point and well back and I just kind of said thinking out loud more than anything uh, like I wonder if anybody's you know what's what's known about kind of inflammation broadly inflammation and microglial reactivity in that disease and Stuart was like, not much, and you should do it. And yeah. 
totally right. Like, you know, that he was like, that's something that you should absolutely be thinking about writing fellowships on. Uh, it, I think it'd be really good for you to do. And I barely, like, I, we did not speak very often. And he just knew that I was on the floor. And he was like, that is a really interesting thing that science needs to know. And I reckon you could do it. And mm. yeah, it was just really, really nice. And I think that's, yeah, that's something that's resonating with a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, there was some other things like knowing your strengths and having confidence in them, which I guess also came through on the early careers day. And loving what you do, but finding that balance, which I think everyone struggles with, uh, whether you're a researcher or not, it, finding that balance is, is really key. Um, and I think the biggest challenge, and I don't think I'm any good at this, is don't worry about the things that you can't control. So once you've submitted that paper or that grant, it's out of your control. So just kind of let it be. So some really, really positive messages coming through from that. Um, con continuing on the very like positive theme with Beth, with your um, little award win for your talk, I wonder if we want to chat about any top tips for approaching attending a conference, if you're get presenting a poster or presenting a talk, what would be your kind of golden tips for that? Um, I think um, the first one would be just assume the audience know nothing about what you're talking about because I think like as scientists because we're we're so in our own bubbles I think we think everyone knows exactly what we what we do or like what things are um and I try and pretend that people don't know anything what I do um and I just try and explain things in the clearest way possible like with with the fewest levels of technical jargon um and I, I like try and I'll say it to like people at home or like people who aren't in science and if they can get it that's where I know I've pitched it correctly um the second thing I would say is if you don't need to use text please don't use it um no no, no. I think text definitely is important in um presentations um but I think less is less is definitely more um and I think it's nice to use illustrations because they can engage your audience and you can then also be more engaging because you're the presentation as well as like your slides, like your slides are your aid, but you are the presentation. Um, and I think sometimes if you've got quite a bit of text, um, people might be wanting to read that and not not focusing on you. And sometimes we don't want people to focus on us because it's so nerve wracking when you get up there. But I think actually if, if you can show your like passion and like, I guess flair was the whole point of the award for what you do. Um, I think that really comes across to people. Um, and finally, I think practice. Like for me, I, I like to practice things to within an inch of their life. Um, I like to be as prepared as I can be um, for anything I do. Um, so yeah, just practicing it and practicing it to other people um, and practicing to like try and stay on time, I think mm. is, a, is a good one. It's always good to have a critical friend who can say, it's good, but... Yeah. Here's some things you could do. You don't just want lots of people going, wonderful, just keep doing that because then you don't change and you don't learn. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think like it's nice to have like, either your lab group or like someone who like you can just present it to at home or whatever um, to say, oh, this was good. I really liked this, but this is what you could do and this would make it better. Exactly like you said, Katie, because mm. you like you say, you can't improve if you don't get any feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. It was so well deserved. Mm. So like much, it. honestly. Yeah. I'm so honoured by it. I just did not expect it. And I was sat right at the back. Um, I was like, oh no, I've got to walk all this way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, everyone's been so, so kind and so positive about it. And it's it's so nice to get some recognition. I think like as an early career researcher, you don't 
always get that much recognition, especially when you're first starting and you're trying to get stuff out and things take time. And um, sometimes like your confidence can be hit with like experiments and stuff. So it's just, I think the whole, what AOUK have done with having the whole Early Careers Day and all the talks and lots of different flash presentations as well throughout the whole conference um, just allows ECRs to get that, that time, to get that recognition from people and just to feel like you're doing a good job. Throw it open to the others. So any top tips for giving presentations, preparing posters, or just getting ready to come and be in person? So put trousers on, maybe, <laughs> if you've all been at home. I do think that's a really good point, though, because, you know, we've been doing it over Zoom for so long that presenting in person is kind of a skill that I think has not been as practised. And I think your point about practice is really, like, important. I think ECRs really need to be able to seize as many opportunities they can to share their research, whether that be in a formal talk setting or at conferences like this. So I think, you know, uh, attend and show face and really take these opportunities as best you can is, is definitely something that I'd I'd say to ECRs. I definitely learned how to try and summarize my poster in a very short amount of time because if I was dragging people to my poster, I didn't want to make them stay for 15 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, trying to summarize it concisely, really very much the elevator pitch yeah. style, yeah. Definitely know your elevator pitch. Be ready, because actually you never know when it might be a potential next employer that you're talking to. So yeah, impress them. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I would I would de definitely echo presentation-wise everything Beth said, um, which is good because she's the pro, she would know better. Um, but less is more being really key, and I think being key for posters as well, which Beth didn't speak about specifically, but um, some absolutely amazing posters around where... Uh, nice, big, clear introductions, handful of figures, key figures really showing what's gone on, uh, and then the kind of main conclusion points. Uh, and I really like it. This is a really specific thing, but I really like it when people number their results so I know what order I'm supposed to be looking at this in, because sometimes you have to go down, then back up, and sometimes you have to go across and then down. Uh, and some people don't do that, and I never know where I'm supposed to be going at any one time. Uh, so I guess that would be another thing. But just like... It's, it, science is all about enthusiasm for what you do and I think that if you're enthusiastic about what you do when you present that comes across which it did with what Beth did uh, if you're enthusiastic about what you're presenting with your posters uh, then that comes across which is what Sophie's done as well uh, and and if you're enthusiastic when you talk to other people about their posters which is what I've done because I don't have my own poster <laughs> Um, then that works out. Like you, you can't go far wrong if you can keep your enthusiasm for what you're doing um, because what we're doing is awesome. Like we, we're lucky enough to get to work on something that's, that's so interesting to work on uh, and, and I think that really shines through. Fab, yeah. And I know that because um, I work quite a lot with people affected by dementia and help them to find out more about research and they get so much hope from the work that you're doing. Um, I think it's really important to actually like build you up with that, that you're not just playing with some liquids in a lab that actually it's, it's serving a kind of a, a bigger picture a bigger purpose so yeah take ho take hope and strength from that in yourselves um maybe a couple more questions just some aware that sessions will start soon and also don't want this to be like four hours long for those of you listening uh, so we've got a couple more sessions this afternoon is there anything left to come that you're really looking forward to or is it just you're looking forward to going home <laughs> Next session looks really good. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the next session. It's on, it's on kind of metabolic uh, factors. Uh, I think that's really fascinating, um, and I think that there's arguably a little bit understudied, um, and and really looking forward to seeing those talks because I think they're going to be really, really important. 
I'm really looking forward to Maura Malpetti's Dr. Maura Malpetti. So we've seen actually a lot of research against dementia fellows around. And as a young woman, it's so inspiring to see them doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a little chat with her in the coffee break and it was really cool. And I'm looking forward to just seeing it up there. <laughs> Very cool. Just to second that, I think the seeing the race against dementia fellows is, is awesome. I've not actually had a chance to speak to anyone yet, um, but that that charity as well, and like obviously it's funded with ARUK. I think those fellowships are amazing. Um, just the way they approach um, the problems that we all are trying to figure out. Um, and like you say, it's really inspiring to see um, lots of people doing it. So, and throughout the conference, ECRs have been given one slot per session, which is, I think, a really good idea. Mm. So. Yeah, you, you want that good mix of the, the fresh, innovative thought and then those really nice overarching state of play of this area. It, it just, like, if it's not your area, you get a really clear sense of what's exciting, what's new and what we know. Mm. Yeah, very good. So for the last question, so we're all here, sat around a table, which feels really novel after the past two years. Um, So what's it been like being back in person? Has it been worth it? Or do you want to go back home and just stay behind the computer? No, it feels really, really good. Yeah. Everyone's smiling. So (laughs) I think it was just nice to like go somewhere new. And like, I think a couple of us are a third year and to not have done anything like this is my first national conference and to like actually meet like you see people on Twitter and stuff and you see people online but like I think uh, Sophie messaged me on Twitter and she's like oh, I've seen you on here like I loved your talk sort of thing and it's so nice to actually have those face-to-face connections with people I think I follow you on Twitter I follow everyone on Twitter um <laughs> I'm one of those people like hi mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's nice to actually put like faces to names and actually have like conversations with people and like Mike was saying about the enthusiasm for science, everyone's so enthusiastic for what they do. Um, and it's nice to hear about what people have been doing. So yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, weird. You, like, I'm greeting people that are like, I feel like old friends I've literally never seen before in, in real life. Uh, I'm like, how are you doing? Like, how are the kids? Like, uh, and I'm like, hold on a second, we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been so, so nice. I've spent, yeah, the whole conference just like, running around trying to catch up with people that I've had the odd Zooming with or follow on Twitter and and see what they're up to. And yeah, it's been amazing. I think I've probably traveled the furthest to get here out of all of us. And I would travel a lot further again um, to, to, to do this sort of thing again. Well, good, for you, good news for you is next year we're up your neck of the woods uh, in Aberdeen, so less far to travel. Still very far for everyone else though, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still quite far for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you really can't uh, replace the in-person experience, like actually being able to meet ECRs and, and uh, researchers from all across the UK has been yeah, like just something you can't get from that online experience. And I do really appreciate everything that AOUK did over that time. Like the online platform that you guys set up last year was fantastic. Um, but, you know, it feels like a stopgap for what we're really here for, and that's to talk about our research and to make uh, sort of new connections and really develop the field. And yeah, it's just great to be in person again. And the serendipitous meetings, we met yeah. at a hotel breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and Josh almost let me lateral flow. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <Nice>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. 
Yeah, you don't get that kind of um, coffee queue, lunch queues, you know, you're randomly standing next to somebody and then you just get chatting because you pass them a fork and then realise that you work on similar areas. So, yeah, that is, yeah, very difficult to recreate online. And you have the, fo- the focus of having to do it. I don't know about all you guys, but online conferences, I have it on. I'm like, oh, I can do two things. I can write this thing and also attend the conference. And then I end up neither listening to any of the conference nor writing the thing I really needed to write. Uh, and I should have just focused on that one thing. Uh, and just doing it in person just allows me to like, you're here, you're in the room, this is what's going on. I'm not thinking about all the experiments that I need to be running um, at the same time, all the stuff I need to write up. Like I'm I'm just in the moment um, and that's, that makes it so much better. Wow, that's a resounding success for being back in person. But I think we'll keep it going hybrid because I know a lot of people have been able to join online and also it means that if you are here and you have missed out on stuff, you can probably watch it back as well. So very, very handy that way. Um, so I just want to thank all of our guests today for coming along. It's been really good to chat with you. It's been really lovely to be in person and thank you so much for everything that you've shared and done over the past few days. So for those of you listening, if you attended the conference and missed some of those talks, we hope you can seek them out on the online platform and catch, catch up on them um, if you didn't book and can't access those presentations i hope our summaries were interesting and i'm sure if you take a look on twitter at the hashtag which is hashtag airukconf 22 you will find lots of discussions and pictures of the posters and the talks that you missed um, so yeah do check that out and so it's time to end today's podcast recording i'd like to thank our panelists beth mike josh and sophie um, we have profiles of all of today's panelists on the website including details of their twitter accounts and ways to get in contact with them and i'm pretty sure they'll be very happy for you to reach out if you have any questions or you want to pick up on anything they said So thank you for listening and please remember to like, comment and subscribe. It helps people find the podcast and do tell us about your own work as well. Thank you and goodbye. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.